You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Increasingly in recent years, I have observed that the Lord has helped us as a church when we gather in celebration Sundays, that the, the theme or the shape of our worship <clears throat> has taken on the shape of the text that we're looking at that morning. Um, and I believe that, that God is helping us to mature in that, um, and uh, the, the worship people are so good at, at making that happen. And so sometimes we'll get together and the, t- the, the shape of the scripture that we're looking at is, is very, very outward. And, and we saw that a few weeks ago when we were at the McGilvery property. It was a joint service. It was focused on missions. And, and it, was, it was a text in scripture in Colossians 1. It was an out there text. And then sometimes we get together and there's a, there's a portion of the scripture that we're studying and it's a, it's a gaze upward and we're looking at God in a way that is so intense and the scripture and the worship just takes us there and we're meant to just stand in awe of God and that's what it's meant to be and the whole service takes on that, that nature, that, that shape. And then there are our texts of scripture and services that are like today. And if you've noticed in some of the, the language and the music and the praying that's going on, it's, it's the inward look. They might be, perhaps for some of us, the most difficult kinds of services to, to endure because it is an intense look within, and that can sometimes be very uncomfortable. Today, as we look at the scripture text, we're going to be drawn in, and it's very much today a Sunday of commitment. Not that every Sunday isn't a Sunday of surrender and commitment, but today very much is a surrendering lordship of Jesus Christ in my heart and life kind of Sunday. And um, it's just like Doug talked about next week, this commitment Sunday, as we look at these connecting points in this brochure that we've made available, all these different opportunities that are coming uh, in study and in nurture of our faith and fellowship. I'm, I wish I didn't have to preach every Sunday morning at 9 because I would be downstairs with that adult elective studying Bonhoeffer's life together. I'd be there. So I hope you take advantage of that. I hope next Sunday you, you sign up and you take advantage of some of the things that could grow your faith. Today, if you'd open your Bibles in 2 Samuel chapter 3... We're going to just take a look at a a, a verse, one verse, that sets the tone of the day. And um, I was reading this past week, uh, the the, the commentator Warren Wearsby says that the whole letter book of 2 Samuel is all about restoration. The restoration of the kingdom to David, the restoration of David after he sinned with Bathsheba, the restoration of the kingdom to David after Absalom hijacks it, and so on. It's all about restoration. I would like to suggest to you that we'd we'd rather look at the book of 2 Samuel and consider the three main accomplishments of the reign of 40 years that David had in his kingdom. It's all accounted for in 2 Samuel. And I want to say that that what David primarily accomplished were three things in his 40-year reign. Number one, he unites all of Israel under one nation. No longer a bunch of tribes, just one nation under him as king. 
Number two, he defeats many of the primary and most uh, dangerous enemies of Israel during that 40-year reign. And number three, he actually enlarges the territory of Israel. He expands their borders. We're going to come back to those three points at the end of this message because you need to do that under the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life too. The same King David that's calling Israel to certain things is the son of David, Jesus, today, who is calling us to certain things. And today is coronation day for some of you. Today. Today, Jesus wants to point out areas of his lordship, areas of the civil war in your life that rages because there's not been that coronation day of Jesus over your heart. Today. That's our prayer. Today is going to be that day. Would you turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 3, and would you stand with me if you're able to? Just one verse, 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. May God bless his word. You may be seated. After Saul's death, from our perspective, it would be very natural for us to say, Well, of course David is meant to assume the throne of the kingship of Israel. Uh, We know that because we are given a vantage point that people who lived in that day were not given. Many of the people that lived in that day did not know that Samuel had secretly gone to Jesse's home and anointed the youngest of these sons of Jesse as king of Israel. It was natural in that day for the king to be, to be uh, the heir of the former king. And so as we look at the scriptures, it, it's natural for us to have a certain perspective, but it wasn't natural for the people that lived out this history that we're reading about. And so for those that lived it out, it's not that simple. For the last 10 years of Saul's life, he'd become an insecure, jealous, and proud king, obsessed with maintaining his power and killing David, who was a threat to his kingdom. And though David is successful in uniting the kingdom under his 40-year reign, we can see that just a little while later, under his son Solomon, after Solomon is dead, the sons of Solomon divide the kingdom again, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And it really serves, this all, all this history serves to just remind us of the fact that every generation the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom in, in, in on earth in any way, is, is subject to either, the, either this incredible revival of lordship and power under God or this incredible weakening as people defect and civil war in the hearts of individuals takes place. Every generation. That's why in so many ways the the scriptures that we're looking at, which is given for our edification, is all about the importance of godly leadership in our marriages, in our families, in the church. Godly leadership. The first thing I'd like to say is that this text that we're looking at in chapter 2 primarily tells us of three paths to leadership that are 
as current today as they were 3,000 years ago when this history was lived out. Three paths to leadership. You see, when King Saul died, he left a vacuum of leadership that had to be filled. And as, as we can think of it from our perspective, it was natural for us to think that, that David should pull up his tent pegs, move to the king, kingdom, and, and just take over. But that's not the thinking of many. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 8, as the first letter of book of Samuel ends, Saul dies, and on the battlefield beside Saul, three of Saul's sons die with him. There was one more living son of Saul. His name was Ishbosheth. He was probably the youngest. He was probably the weakest soldier. And he was probably left off the battlefield because Saul knew from prophecy and from God making it very clear that his days were numbered, that he would die in battle that day. And he wanted an heir to follow him on the throne. And so he left his youngest son, Ishbosheth. And Abner, his, his commander of, of the army, quickly took Ishbosheth and made him king. These, these uh, verses that we read are full of intrigue, of personality development, of incredible politi politicized maneuvering, and uh, interesting dynamics. The passage presents us with three paths to leadership that are well-trodden today. Let me mention the first one, Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth in this situation represents the kind of leader, the kind of person who comes into position because of connections with someone and favors passed on. People like this either grow into the shoes that they are put in and fill out the position in time, or they eventually topple if they are not propped up continually. Ishbosheth is an example of this kind of leader, and indeed we'll see in the history of the Old Testament that as soon as Abner, the commander of Saul's army, decides that he no longer wants this man Ishbosheth in the kingdom, he topples. There are leaders like that today. The second model of leadership and the path to leadership is presented by Abner. Very popular, this model of leadership in business and in politics and even in the church, unfortunately. And Abner represents the, the position, the, the leadership that is taken by sheer force of character and political maneuvering. And though we do read of some redeeming qualities in this man, Abner. He is motivated primarily in his heart by a lust for power and a fear of losing his position. After all, David, this king, already has a commander for his army that he trusts. His name is Joab. Abner is going to lose his job if someone else takes over besides an heir to Saul. The third path to leadership is seen in David himself who is, 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 is incredibly clear-sighted as a leader in Israel. It represents David, David represents this person who is not depending on family connections. He's not depending on stature or brawn. He is not weak of character or will, and yet he does not use his strengths or his opportunities for self-promotion. He does not manipulate or play the political games to secure his throne. He waits patiently 
for years, and he keeps his eyes on the Lord. Several times we read, David inquired of the Lord as to when to act and what to do and how. And for David, you see, leadership and position was not something that was to be taken. It was something that was to be given. Okay? Leadership and position was not something to be taken. It was something to be given, and it could only be given by the Lord God himself. David was earnest on this matter, and he sought the Lord that way. From three paths to leadership, we move quickly to two mistakes that are often made in civil war, and we see them made in the history of Israel. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, you'll notice that it says, David inquired of the Lord, should I go up to Hebron, or should I go up and, and assume kingdom? And he says, God says, yes. Should I, where should I go? God says, Hebron. And it says in verse 8 of that same passage, Meanwhile, very important word, meanwhile signifies that at the same time that David is on his face before God in Ziklag saying, should I go back to Israel, should I assume the kingdom, Saul's dead, is now the time, God, there's Abner, and what is Abner doing? He takes, he takes the young son of Saul, Ishbosheth, and he makes him king, takes and makes that's the kind of leader that Abner is. And so we see two kingdoms rivaled, this, this, this fractioning out, the dividing of Israel that was under Saul, now is two kingdoms. One is commanded by the commander Abner, one is by Joab, one Ishbosheth king, one David king in Judah, in, in Hebron, and now we see in chapter 2 the first encounter of these two armies. Brothers. Brothers. Israel. Now two kingdoms fighting. We read in verse 13 that they gather at the pool of Gibeon. You can imagine this big lagoon, this pool in the middle of a kind of a flat area. And on one side is Abner with the forces of Israel. On the other is Joab with the forces of Judah. And Abner says in verse 14 that he decides we're going to have a little fun with this. He says, let's take some of the young soldiers and have them fight it out before us. Sort of a UFC, WWF, or whatever you want to call it, opportunity for some entertainment. And so they pair off 12 young men from both sides, and they battle it out. And in verse 16, we read, Each man grabbed his opponent by the head, thrust his dagger into his opponent's side, and they fell down together. When I read this, I honestly immediately thought of a, of a thing that happens in the province North Potosi in Bolivia... And it's today celebrated in the dancing called the Tinku. Every February in Carnival, they have this dance that is actually the reflection of a real combat that takes place among the, the towns of North Potosi, where a rival town will meet up with another rival town, and for rite of passage into adulthood, their young men will fist cuff it out till the blood runs or someone faints or, or falls down, and usually the authorities step in before someone dies, but every year there's reported deaths in North Potosi because of the Tinku. 
You see, every culture, it seems like from the beginning of time, has thought that the way to resolve conflict, the way to figure out our differences, is by brawn and muscle and fight. And that's the way Abner and Joab had been trained, and that's the way they decided they would settle the matter at the Pool of Gibeon. The problem is, of course, that in this passage, we see that there is a Never a clear, clear-cut demonstration in the narrative. You know, the, the Bible's a messy book because the good guys don't always act in good ways. And the bad guys are often very commendable in their conduct, sometimes more than the good guys. And in this passage, we see the same sort of thing. We see good guys not always acting in good ways and bad guys not always acting in bad ways. And in this passage, we see that civil war is often accompanied this way, where some who are right are wrong in the way they're right, and some who are wrong are right in the way they're wrong. Do you get that? Does that mess with your head? (laughs) How many times have you or I been in a dispute with someone, and the Holy Spirit is saying, you're right, you're right, but you're dead wrong in the way you're right. Ever been there? I don't want to make light of it, but we had a civil war happening in our staff meeting this past Tuesday. You pray for us. It was over the best breakfast cereal. And I I happened to have crossed over and been one over to Vector. And I think I wasn't won over because there was necessarily truth factors labeled out. I mean, I think you need a PhD to understand what's on the back of a cereal box or what's not there anyway. But but having said that, I don't think I was won over because of the truth factors of it, but because of maybe the way the truth was being presented by these two opposing parties who will remain nameless (laughs) at this point. In the scripture that we're looking at today, we see that in in many ways we have this same thing happening. You see, in the scripture, we we meet up with three young soldiers of David. They are actually his nephews. They are the sons of Zuriah, and Zuriah was David's sister, daughter of Jesse. They're valiant soldiers. Their commander, Joab, is one of the three brothers, Joab, Abishai, and Asael, in verse 18. Now, what happens is that these men are fighting it out. This game of war, 12 on 12, turns into a vicious battle. Abner, halfway through the day, sees that he's losing terribly, and the Israelites start to retreat from their brothers of Judah. But one of these brothers, the youngest, Asael, decides that he's going to make a name for himself. He's going to try and take down the commander, Abner. And boy, that'll make a name for him, and that'll also win a decisive victory for King David. And so instead of retreating like Abner has commanded, he pursues, or sorry, like, yeah, like Abner has commanded, like Joab has commanded, sorry, he pursues Abner. And Abner, in his, he's, he's the bad guy in this story, right? In, in his moment, says, he calls him off. He, he tries to convince him to, to come off. To, to leave him, to go, to go home. 
But, but this young man persists and persists until finally what Abner does to protect his own neck is he jams his, the point of his spear into the ground as he rides his horse and it impales Asael in, in the other end and dies. His two brothers come along just behind their brother and find him dead and they are bent on revenge. And if the civil war ever had a chance of ending on the battlefield that day, it is not going to end now without a lot of bloodshed. And so they, they corner Abner on the hill, and the Benjamites gather around him and protect him. And then this famous words come out of Abner's mouth, found in verse 26. Words that echo down to our day and age in so many places. Must the sword devour forever? Do you realize, don't you realize that this will end in bitterness? How long before you order your men to stop pursuing their brothers? These haunting words have echoed down through the ages with every battle that humanity has thought it could be settled by the sword. In this story, we see Abner as well, clearly a man of self-interest, and yet in this moment a redeemable quality, not wanting to see this young man die and not wanting either to see more bloodshed on that hill and asking Joab to back off, which he does. Finally, I want to come to the third point this morning, and that is there's one winner in, in civil war. Three paths to leadership, two mistakes often made, one winner. Oh, I understand. You're thinking, no, there were two, two losers here. That's true. The Benjamites lost 360 men that day. And Judah, only 20. And uh, you can see clearly there's a winner happening. And that's the point I want to make, is that in every civil war, there eventually does happen to be a winner. And that's the comment that the scripture we read in our passage this morning comments on. The, the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. This civil war, David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. This is simply a mid-course commentary on how it was going. Next week we will see, as we open up the next pages of the Scriptures, that David did indeed win this civil war, but I want you to know he didn't win it by conventional methods or brawn. God gave him the victory. God gave him the kingdom, and he became king over all of Israel. In fact, God used evil intent of evil men to accomplish his holy purposes. But I want to switch gears with you now, and as I said at the beginning, I want to come back to some very primary stuff about the main narrative and the lessons learned in 2 Samuel. And would you go with me there? Because I can't take you unless you're willing to go. Would you go with me to a level that's intensely personal between you and Jesus? I need you to go with me there as we conclude the message, you need to go to that inner place where your heart is a throne and there's room for only one king. Otherwise, your heart and your life is the battleground of a civil war that rages on and the double-minded man is unstable in all he does. So go there with me into that inner place where, where as you know, the flesh battles against the reigning king, Jesus. 
Alan Redpath's comment that I wrote in the insert of your bulletin, it says, In the lives of many Christians today, there is raging literally a civil war. The flesh, which is the kingdom of Saul, struggles with the spirit, the kingdom of David, and the conflict is bitter. We do everything we possibly can to hold up the tottering kingdom of self so that it might exist just a bit longer. Oh, how fondly we cherish the life that God wants to crucify. There are strong reasons for taking action now and for making this the coronation day of the King of Kings in your heart. You see, we all battle the flesh. There's always going to be skirmishes in our hearts. As long as we live in this body, we're going to battle against the flesh and the passions thereof. There are a whole host of demigods that war for our heart's affections. Os Guinness has written that the human heart is an idol-making factory. The moment that you, in the grace of God, would be able to depose one of those demigods on your heart's passions, there is a lineup of other passions and, and, and things that will come in rushing to want to take over the throne of your life. There is no end of Saul's and Abner's in our hearts. The civil war rages in every Christian when the lordship of Christ is not settled, when the sovereignty of Jesus is not clear. If we do not get up in the morning and say clearly, Jesus is Lord over everything about me, we will end the day knowing that he has been subjected to a removal from the center stage of our hearts. Some of you are in danger of becoming calloused or hardened, indifferent. Five years ago, you would have been surprised that you could have arrived at where you are today and you've stopped being alarmed. And today I want to clarify where you can begin to make it right with God. I said at the beginning of the sermon that there are three huge accomplishments that David had in his kingdom, and I'm telling you today, Jesus has the same three goals in every one of his subjects as King of kings and Lord of lords. First of all, we see that David is able to unite the kingdom, 12 tribes under one king, one nation. Jesus, as king, wants to unite all of the fragmented areas of your life, all the loyalties that are go in different directions and different fears, and he wants to bring it all under his lordship, him. Secondly, David, it says in Scripture, was able to deal with the majority of the enemies of Israel during his 40-year reign. King Jesus is the only one that is able to help you defeat the enemies of your soul. And thirdly, David was able in his reign to extend the borders of Israel so that by the time he is done and he's handing on to Solomon his kingdom, Israel is much bigger than it was before. And Jesus Christ wants to enlarge the influence of your life. Right now, the footprint of influence that your life is on this earth is small. It's small. Compared to what Jesus Christ can do through you and the power of his spirit in you if you give him reign over everything about you. Just incredible what God can do through each one of us if he is Lord of our lives. How do we proceed? Let me make it clear. 
If Israel would not have allowed David to be king, he could never have united the kingdom. He could never have defeated Israel's enemies for them. And he could never have enlarged their territory. And friends, the place that you and I begin, regardless of where you are in the civil strife that rages in your heart, I don't care what kind of screw-up you are. I don't care what kind of messed up person you are. If you're duplicit or complicit, if you've got warring, raging passions that still act out in your life, I don't care how far you look away from being a Christian. The first step for you on the way back is just settling Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, center. You think sometimes that you can't be doing that, you can't present yourself to God because you're still too messed up. You've got to clean it up before. You know, Israel didn't get rid of all their enemies before David became king. Israel didn't enlarge their influence and borders before David became king. Israel was not united under one nation until David was king of all. And you will not have victory in your Christian life. You will not gain territory in your life. You will not win against the battles of the flesh until Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. You just need to bring your life to Christ. And so as we prepare to worship in song this day, the prayer of our morning is for Jesus Christ to be, have a coronation day in each heart here today. You know, there, there's pastors here, there's deacons, there's people that are spiritual friends, there's people that are, are prayer warriors, and you know what? We're going to sing a song right now, and I don't know what it is on the heart of God to do, but I'm going to ask you to come forward and just sit or stand at the front. And when you come, someone's going to come and just pray over you. We don't need to know the details of what your prayer is. It might be a prayer of confession that you're offering to the Lord. It might be a rededication of your heart to Christ. I don't know what it is. But you know what? I think that there's something important some days about that commitment of getting up, coming forward, and just saying, God, I, I just need to recommit. And so we're going we're gonna to have a time of prayer uh, as we sing, and uh, some of us will be praying over others at the front. And let's God, let God have the, the way that he wants to conclude this service. Let God be God in every heart this day. God bless you.